on this episode of The James Quandall Show. This example you've put me in, not there for work, not there for job, you know, anything like that. I would go up to that person and be like, super, super random, but I really like your coat and I'm trying to make new friends. Do you have time to have a conversation and see what happens? I had the pleasure of interviewing my friend Zoe and we talked all about friendships and how we're all awkward and how important vulnerability is to a friendship and her idea of relational wealth. We also talked about the time when she was lonely and felt like she had no friends and how she spent the next year having 250 unique meal dates on her college campus where she made all sorts of new friends and learned how to maintain friends and also how to make friends when you move to a new city, what's the definition of a good friend, and how to reach out to your friends, and also how to determine who even is a real friend. I learned so much in this episode about how to be a better friend and how to make new friends, and I can't wait for you to listen to this one where we cover all of this and much, much more. Before we started recording the podcast, we were briefly talking about vacations at holidays. And my family and I, for a few years, actually were taking a cruise at Christmas, which I think the whole movie Christmas with the Cranks was based on how Grinch-like it is to just leave your neighborhood and all your friends and family behind and take a cruise. So I was like, well, this is all my grand idea. If we take a vacation with our family, then is that really being a Grinch? <laughs> yes, I. Uh, well, somebody's a Grinch. I don't know who to blame. So I did notice this about taking vacations around Christmas and New Year's. Everybody else on the vacation was in the best mood of anyone I've ever seen. It's like there was like we discovered some secret club that we didn't know about before, that if you take a vacation around Christmas, everyone there wants to be there and they're super excited. And I was so used to family parties and get-togethers where you felt obligated to be there and it seemed like nobody wanted to be there. And (laughs) You know what? That's actually a really good point. I'm going to put that in my back pocket for the future. You've convinced me in one foul stroke. So everybody seemed to be just having the time of their lives. And for some reason, we stopped doing it. It did feel kind of sad like you didn't put up your own christmas tree in the same way you didn't do a lot of this normal stuff so i think it's maybe good to do once in a while but probably not every year sure just break up the rhythm try something new so speaking of trying something new and breaking up the rhythm i'm just kind of curious what you're up to because it seems like you're always sort of and you can tell me if i'm wrong here But from my perspective, you're always kind of doing something new and breaking the mold in a way. Yes. No, you're absolutely correct. Um, In fact, from from a resume standpoint, I always joke with people about how my resume looks so random and disjointed on first glance. But the one common theme that everything shares in it is that they all are united by challenge because I am always be bopping around. I immerse myself into the newest situations, like even when it comes to making friends. I'm like, I don't know everything about you. Tell me your life story. Let's all the things. Boom. And uh, 
it's not like I get bored with it, but I love learning and I love, I love new things. So you're right. It's, it's hard to pin me down really for, for a long amount of time. That's why I'm really excited that I got you for an interview today because I know that's just a rare thing to get you in one spot for one-on-one conversation, and I'm just grateful that you're here. I am honored to be on the James Quandall Show. How'd I do? How's my voice? Yeah, maybe I'll. you can be the new intro because I've been told that the intro to the show does not reflect my personality once you're in the show. And actually, probably because this is like a behind-the-scenes secret, I just copied my friend Ben Greenfield's intro, basically. And he's like, on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Fitness Podcast or something like that. And I'm like, okay, on this episode of the James Quandow Show. I just was, t- I didn't want to spend hours and hours coming up with something new. And just like my show, why did I call it the James Quandow Show? Because it was easy. And yeah. well, who, who cares? So what are your challenges now, like, what are you working on? What's 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 the newest and latest and greatest? Oh heavens to Betsy! Why did I even say that? Like, that's what eighty-year-old grandmas say. Heavens to Betsy. Okay, great. So basically, as of still, as of the time of this recording, James, I am on the dream job hunt, and mm-hmm. I shouldn't I shouldn't say dream job because I spent the past couple of years pursuing the dream job, thinking if I get the dream job. Everything else is going to work out. Culture is going to be fantastic. La, 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 la. Um, nope, not true. So what I'm focusing on now is finding so a it's, job. So hold on. It's not yes. true. Did you get that dream job and it wasn't true? Yeah, I got a dream job. If, if the job is great, but everything else within the organization is uh, not so great, then the dream job will, in fact, still not be great, which was a good a good thing for me to figure out because I'm always chasing, hustling, you know, as millennials, we're always pers- uh, on the pursuit of happiness. So, uh, yeah, it was a good lesson for me to learn. So the dream job doesn't always lend itself to being the dream. Why? Why do, like what things can make something on paper that seems like the most perfect opportunity end up not being any good? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. It's I think it's disheartening because for me, I'm a huge dreamer. So if I'm dreaming something and it's on my heart, I, I should pretty much consider it done deal. It's going to happen. And if it doesn't align the same way that I, you know, created in my head, then obviously there's a, <laughs> you have to grieve that loss of things not looking that way. And that is honestly really hard for me because I go all into things. And yeah, getting a dream job was an incredible opportunity, but there's so much more to the job than that. Like I learned, especially in a work, a work setting, the job cannot give you the purpose that you're looking for solely. Does a job help fuel a purpose? Yes, but it's not the single purpose. And I think that's where I for sure got lost along the way. So it's been quite a uh, growing season for me to learn what and where my purpose is rooted and how a job can further add and give life to that rather being than rather being rather than being the life. So if it doesn't come solely from your job, what like is there a recipe? Like is there some things that do go into play. So you're saying job is one of them or enhances it, Mm -hmm. but what are some of the other things that are important? 
Yeah. So for me, relationships are the absolute biggest and brightest thing in my life. In fact, I like to call it relational wealth. And I will just often tell people I'm relationally rich because that's where my grounding is. And faith is super important for me as well. So faith blended with healthy, life-giving relationships are the center of where your purpose lies. And everything from that is where your purpose can exude even further. So for instance, I have been seeing, especially during COVID, I found this so weird. This is my own hypothesis here, but I have watched so many friends say that they have no idea what they're doing in their job. They don't do a lot of work. And at the same time, they're extremely anxious, which as I first started hearing that, I thought that was extremely bizarre. How could you be so anxious? You're doing nothing. And then it clicked. I was like, because we're created to do meaningful work, not solely just work for a paycheck, but work in our lives. And so what I'm really passionate about in this season is to go back to the job thing, finding a place where I can do meaningful work and a job that also supports the meaningful work I do outside the doors of the quote unquote office. So how do you find that job? Like, cause that seems to be the riddle. Do you, cause you don't, know what you're walking into completely sure. until you actually are there and mm -hmm. like so your your job potentially um you it was like on paper great but then you get there and maybe the culture is not exactly what you want or maybe the boss isn't exactly what you want or they don't have some kind of benefit how do you evaluate if an opportunity is the one for you and i know that's something you're going through a lot right now probably yeah. So uh, to give more context, uh, because I am not a cookie cutter case, I have a degree in entrepreneurship. So I'm super uh, driven to look at startups and the gritty, fresh companies that are always pivoting. And it's been a long journey because there are great marketers in great companies. So they can say one thing and do another. So I completely agree with what you're saying. Uh, I have found that if someone openly says fast-paced culture, they're quite literally saying you should translate that to you're going to get burned out, period. So that's been an interesting ride for me. Uh, so if you are an employer, take note of that. Don't say you're going to be part of a fast-paced culture because we know what you're actually saying. Um, but, you know, there was a, there's a company that I've been in conversation with and one of the most brilliant uh, interview processes I've been through. In fact, it has been five rounds of interviews so far. Wow. E eclipsing 12 hours of conversation time, which has actually been super rewarding to be part of. I, I don't feel annoyed or irked by it at all because they are taking such care to make sure you are a culture fit for their company. So they are asking questions about you personally not at all regarding the work once it's past round three, et cetera. Mm. They want to know how you work, what makes you thrive, and really taking the time to get to know you before you even come on board to make sure they, as the company, can partner with you to create the biggest success. And so I think the more time a company is willing to spend with you up front, the more it, it shows me and illuminates to me how you're willing to care for the people that you are putting 
in your company? So I have some questions on that because I've done a lot of hiring. And in my career, I've hired thousands of employees before I became an entrepreneur and, and kind of am working on my own. But in the corporate world, I knew within eight seconds if someone was going to be a good fit. And I got it wrong, maybe one out of 20 times. And I feel like those drawn out interview processes sometimes to me could signal just they don't know who they're looking for. So they like have to like look for the perfect match. And then the risk of that is, is good people a lot of times don't have time to just sit through 12 hours of interviews. Like they've got a job, they've got families, they've got commitments and they're like, like this is for what for how much like are you paying me like a million dollars a year like am i going to run this entire company so that's sort of my challenge to those situations i always thought like the google interview process i'm like you get a good enough manager and they should be able to see if someone's a good fit in 30 seconds like why does it have to be a 30 round interview with all these crazy stumping questions is it just to like be really cool like what why the like i don't know what are your thoughts on that i'm just thinking out loud no, I, I completely agree with you. And I think it's extremely nuanced, right? So I look for companies that are in tech or smaller or have a big vision. I've, I'm very attracted. If you can sell me on a vision, I'm there, baby. Like <laughs> that always is what sells me on things. So um, I would say I also agree with that. I think for me specifically, being in this kind of field, they can tell within 30 seconds as well, probably. Um, in fact, they told me that past round two, we would already be able to tell if you're a good fit. We're just trying to see if you're a good culture fit or a good, I'm sorry. After round two, you we already know you can do the job. From that point forward, we just want to know if you fit with our culture. And to me, honestly, it makes me feel safe getting to meet so many different people within the company. And they're not asking questions about your competency anymore. It's about how you navigate relationships, which obviously is my bread and butter. So I love being able to have those conversations, but I agree not for everybody. And I could also see if it was another member of my family who's introverted, they would need a 12 hour nap after, you know, two of them. So understood that is that side of the coin as well. So do you, so to me, it almost, I haven't been through a process like this, but it, to me, it almost sounds more like it's an orientation instead of an interview where you're building relationships with your future coworkers and managers and mentors and peers. So when you do start, you're already indoctrinated. You are one of the gang. You already have relationships. You're ready to just rock and roll and like get moving really quickly. I actually agree with that. The This company specifically, uh, to give an example of what culture means to them, when you join the company, you are actually required to, on company paid time, have a half hour Zoom conversation with every single member in the company. There's less than 40 as of right now. And you need to have a conversation with them. And the one rule is you're not allowed to talk about work. Mm. So they really make it a priority to get that high level of collaboration and establish that trust very early on, even before you, you know, step into the team. So I thought that was, that, that really stood out to me that they're willing to invest in their people that much. So, so. here is my grand idea on this process. And we'll, we'll give this away to startups listening. 
if you want to attract the best talent and that's your process, and I think it, I see a lot of value in it, maybe you pay them for the time for these 12 hours, 20 hours of interviews, whether they get the job or not, because like then everyone's got skin in the game and you, then nobody's wasting their time. And whether they hire you or not, like you might become a customer of that person through that process. You might be an evangelist. You might come down and work for them 10 years later. Like who knows? But at least like, I just don't like when people are kind of leading you on and and taking a bunch of time and then they don't end up even up up yep you weren't a fit after 20 hours we knew after two but we were just trying to make sure so that's my suggestion but relationship wise so getting i love the idea of these 30 minute zoom calls with all the employees because now you're buddies with all these people and through like normal work experience that would take months and months and months or maybe never. Like some of the companies I work with, there's employees I haven't talked with and I've been working with them for five years. I just have never had the opportunity for one-on-one conversation. I hear you. It's 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 a really cool idea. And if you run a small company, you should definitely take this idea and run with it because it is truly worth it. If you can get your company and your employees to trust one another, then you have just proven to them that culture and people are more important than profits to you. So let's talk about people and relationships. And one thing that comes up a lot in the workplace is people that don't get along. And for some reason, they're talking about each other behind their back. They don't want to work on projects. They're sabotaging each other's work. And it's like, guys, you work in the same company. Like You're not helping the company or anyone. And my suggestion back in the day was always, if you don't like someone, you just need to get to know them better. And mm. so I'd put those people in a room and make them just talk or, or I'd have them go on a, a work trip together or some type of arrangement so they would just get to know each other better. And it's always like, oh, what they do doesn't annoy me as much now that I know a little bit more about them. Have you noticed that like with coworkers in the past where if with any situations? Definitely, because you have such a very small lens on another person when you're just seeing their work. And I've, I've seen that always be a breakthrough for me, especially in one of my most recent positions, because I was really secluded in the, in the role that I did. So I didn't have an understanding of what anyone else did other than the product of what I saw. So here I am coming in nitpicking, Oh, I got it on this, blah, 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 blah. Instead of just getting to know the person and realizing, Oh, this is why their mindset is this. They have such a deeper understanding of this. And it made me really have a clearer picture of this is what collaboration is supposed to look like. Why who am I to come in thinking I could do this, that, or whatever, as this person is just sharing, hey, here's the ideas. Let's, what can we do to make it better together? I'm guilty of that too. I, oh. I remember so many times, and I'm still guilty of this today, where I'm working for a, a manager and I'm like, this person doesn't do anything. Like their job's easy. They make more than me. I'm doing all their work. I'm making them look good. And then eventually I get that job and I'm like, oh, I was wrong. Like this person has so much that I had no clue they were doing, whether it be reporting or conference calls or meetings or interviews or whatever. I was like, oh, this job's hard. No wonder they were leaning on me for doing these other tasks. And so it's just funny once you actually get to know, when you have more information, it 
changes. But it's I just am so judgmental. I'm like, oh, they're lazy or they're not. I just I don't know. It's it's definitely a weakness of mine. But I, th- I it could be said for anything, right? We're all that way. Whenever we meet somebody new, it's always a comparison game of what do I have on them? What do they have on me? Before we even get to know them, which once you fight for a relationship, all those walls get broken down and it changes. So I think it's really unique that we have this bend towards guard up, walls up. And I don't know if it came from stranger danger, you know, as children, but it's something I'm committed to breaking in my life because I really want to get to the root of people. So how do you do that? What are some of the ways you've done that in the past? From a work setting or personal like relationship setting? I'm more interested in personal stuff, truthfully. Work, I feel like we all talk about work so much. and No more work. No more work. Well, nobody works. Everybody doesn't have to now. But yeah, like personally. You know, I was thinking about this last night because I love making new friends, building new relationships. That doesn't mean, you know, it's a revolving door. I'm just tossing the old, like that old one is silver, the other is gold. No, I'm not about that. I just like adding to the portfolio. My first thought process on this when I was on a hunt to find meaningful relationships was to- Hold on, hold on. Yes. Why were you on a hunt to find meaningful relationships? I think that we got to go back one layer further because I think- I'm really like, why? Why were you on a hunt for meaningful relationships? Here we go. Okay. It's, it's quite a story. So when I was 20 years old in college, I had an explosive best friend breakup. And I don't know if this is the same for guys, but I know if there's any women hearing, they know that when besties have a riff or a split up, you want to be nowhere near that bomb when it goes off. So basically as a result, whenever you have a bestie, It makes life um, easy in the sense where you don't really need any other friends because you got your bestie. Well, when you lose your bestie, guess what? You don't have any other friends. And that was quite literally the the, um, conundrum Mm. I found myself in. It was eclipsing December of um, that year when I was 20. And I realized, okay, my life sucks. I hate this. I cannot... Keep doing life alone. I can be lonely, wallow. I could start going to the Grinch voice at this part. Um, or I can find new friends, as awkward as, as, as that's going to be. So, but did it take a while? Like, was it, were you sort of in that lonely yes. phase for a while? Yes, because I didn't want to pull myself out of it, quite honestly. I was comfortable being in pain, I guess, is a, is a, is a way to say it. I was honestly comfortable just self-loathing at that point but i I knew there was going to reach a breaking point and i should just break it first before before reaching so there wasn't something that happened that you were like okay i need to go out and make some friends now it was like you just knew you were going deeper and deeper into that loneliness yeah and and it it, i needed to hit it right before it got to the point of desperation so Mm -hmm. i i could see it coming all the signs were there and i was like i don't want this to be my life anymore even though i do you know it's that weird thing of i don't want to do anything about it i know it's there but i have to how am i going to do it so basically what i decided is i love new year's eve it's my favorite holiday just because it's a visual representation of a clean slate and most people can make the argument of course every day is a clean slate sure but does the calendar start over no so i made it my new year's resolution to eat 
a meal with someone different every single day on my college campus and get to know them. It was brutal. That's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. It, it was so nuts. And I looked more nuts because, I mean, just picture this with me. The first, I called the meal dates. The first meal date I went on, I have, it probably looked like a cigarette box in my front pocket filled with note cards that I wrote up with cue questions in case, God forbid, there's silence. So what were some of those, what were some of those those questions or th- or things. What's your favorite color? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I need these in case I interviewed later on. I'm running out of ideas. I'm just really asking for me. Well, you know, some of them got really deep after a while. Thankfully, I never needed to pull out mm. uh, a cue card, but they would start with basic questions like, "What is what is one place you'd love to go in the world, and and why?" And then it starts getting people to light up and. Um, get excited. Shout out to our friend, our mutual friend, John Deloney and his conversation starter card. So if you were listening to this and you're like, how on earth would she sit down with 365 strangers and not need the cue cards? If that frightens you, you could buy John Deloney's conversation starters. And it's just full of these kind of questions that I'm sure that Zoe had written down. I agree. He has met a need that I had 10 years ago, but you can get yours today in the link below. All right. So let's get, well, we'll get back on track. So you, you're sitting down your first, your first date. What did that look like? The first one? Yeah. So basically it was someone I knew from one of my classes. This was my approach. And let me tell you, every, every, the first day of a new semester, I was having a field day because you choose your seat. And I would always sit next to someone I didn't know because I was teeing myself up to ask them to grab a meal with me. My kind of uh, method was talk to a stranger, sit next to a stranger first, compliment them. Okay. They like me. I've complimented them. They feel seen. They feel validated. Boom, bam. And then we'd sit down. Give me an example. What's a compliment? I, I, we, we need to break each of these down. So what's a compliment? Let's do it. So, okay, Erica from my communications class, she was such a fashionista. So I said, Erica, girl, I love your fashion. But, you know, that's honestly all I know about you. Let's, do you want to grab lunch sometime this week? That's perfect. That I can, that will work 100% of the time, guaranteed. Yes. Okay, so you compliment. What's next? So I compliment and then they're flattered. They're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, sure. Because when you think about it in college, Nobody's scheduling, nobody's doing what I'm doing, scheduling meal dates, breakfast, lunch, dinner every day, like a lunatic. So it's like, oh yeah, for sure. Let's do it. So we sit down, start talking about class together and be like, Hey, I told you, I I barely knew you. Um, but so I I just want to hear some things about you. I might be awkward, but is that okay? And they're like, oh yeah, I'm awkward too. Every time someone would be like, yeah, I'm awkward too. And I found that to be freeing because that means none of us are actually awkward. We're just human with one another. And meeting people is, in fact, the awkward part, not us. So um, we'd sit down and start talking about class. And then I'd be like, so here's something I want to know about you. You look like you have it all put together. I mean, you're always rocking it. Can you tell me about a time? Because because I'm struggling right now, honestly, because I was. And so I would be the first person to hand vulnerability out and kind of put my trust in their court. I'd be like, honestly, I'm really struggling. Can you tell me about a time in your life where 
you felt like you were not going to make it out, but how you did immediately, immediately, they would start sharing their life story because they wanted to help and encourage me. And when I say that 95% of those conversations I had encouraged me and filled me up. It was almost as if, cause I had said that faith super important to me. It was almost as if God had said, again, I have shown you what I've done in someone else's life. Are you going to keep trusting me to do it in yours as well? And so it was, it was honestly the most rewarding experience I've had in my entire life. And I got so confident in that process and in getting to know people that I ended up getting over 250 unique meal dates by the time I graduated two and a half years later. And I kept almost all of those friends. And the craziest thing I can say to put like a bow on top of this has nothing to do with the award itself, but how the consistency over time produced so much fruit. I went from being considered a nobody on campus to having no friends my sophomore year to being nominated and being in the top five for senior woman of the year on the college campus by the end of senior year. And it was so crazy because of course I wasn't going for that. My gosh, I just needed friends to live and to actually survive and go through the crazy thing that is called life. And as a result, I made the deepest connections of anybody that I knew on that college campus. So it was the best. I've discovered, whether I'm playing tennis or enjoying a day full of competitive chess, that caffeine and sugar highs just don't last. You instead need something that won't spike your blood sugar and cause a crash. I avoid most pre- and post-workout products because they're full of added sugar, natural flavors, and other ingredients I don't approve of, and they end up making me feel worse than if I hadn't taken them at all. That's why this podcast is brought to you by UCAN. UCAN's products are made differently. Their patented superstarch ingredient has the outstanding ability to provide a steady release of energy without spiking blood sugar levels. Controlling blood sugar is the key to optimizing focus, performance, and recovery. Try UCAN's delicious chocolate peanut butter energy bar, cookies and cream energy and protein powder with 19 grams of protein per serving, or grab the ready-on-the-go Edge Pouch. These products will give you the long-lasting benefits of Superstarch to balance your blood sugar and provide long-lasting energy for your workout and your day. Because you're a listener of this podcast, you'll get 20% off your entire order by going to youcan.co slash jamesq. That's ucanco slash James Q. Give you can a try today. That is the coolest story ever. And I just can't imagine how awkward some of those conversations must have been. And I personally relate to that because it's how I feel every time when I'm going to do a podcast interview. It's like terror. Like I'm about sure. to, who knows what's about to happen with this. Granted, I don't have to release it. And but it's still a person and it's yeah. scary. And how did you know when it was time to stop? Like, when did it, did it ever start to feel less genuine, like going through that? Well, no, that's a, that's a great question for me. No, because 
Are you saying stop the process? Yeah, like you said you did 250. Was there a point where you're like, this doesn't, it feels like I'm trying too hard or I'm not being genuine anymore? Like, because you've got kind of this script almost at a point where you're like, oh, this works every time. Like, this is how I make a friend. So I I would say I would pivot and make it um, unique to the person I was talking to, of course, to make it uh, a real conversation. I met with over 250 different people. But there were times where I had second, third, fourth meals with people. There are people who would become my close friends who I'd be like, you know what? I mentally tapped out today. Let's just grab lunch like you and I. That would happen. I think that um, it started as being every single day, boom, bam, boom, through the end of that year. And then I kind of dipped in two, three times a week out of 21 different meals. So that would be a good pace too. Um, Yeah, if I felt that I was, this was basically just a self-awareness thing, I guess, at that point. If I felt that I was starting to abandon the people that meant most to me in a hunt to find new people, then I would pull back and I would have people tell, like be on guard and watching for that as well. Uh, Cause I want them to be honest with me in, in that. Setting. I could definitely see that where I was like, wow, this is so neat. Like this awesome person, Zoe sat with me and we built a real connection. And then the next day I see Zoe talking with someone else. I'm like, wait, I'm still lonely over here. I needed a friend too. Like, because a lot, what's, what's probably true, and you can confirm it, I bet a lot of these 250 people you went on meal dates with were also feeling lonely and needing genuine, true, deep friendships. 100% of the time, that was the case. And I think what really helped me and be my compass throughout the entire process is that before any of those steps happened, I sat down and thought about what type of friend do I want in my life? Because I would then reverse engineer it and be like, okay, then I need to be this, 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 and this for other people. So I first started embodying the friend that I always wanted. So if that's the person who you see in the hallway and you're thinking, is she ever not smiling? Like, oh my gosh, she's always smiling. She's always complimenting me. All she knows is my name. What the heck? She's crazy. I love her. Or it's that person who you know is loyal. And in a dark moment, you know you can call this person at 2 a.m. And they'll rush over to your room. And even if nothing else, they'll sit beside you or they'll pray with you if that's something that you're looking for. I was a a tour guide on that college campus. And by senior year, I was truly telling people on tours, this is a campus where if you needed prayer at any time, you could quite literally walk into any person's room and they would pray for you. And that's what I truly believed because that was the lens that I was seeing the world through because those are the connections that I was making and building. But yeah. Was this a I Christian think, university? Yes. I'm sorry if I didn't say that. Yes, it was. Okay. So that, that would be why I said that. Yes. Good, good uh, catch there. But yeah, so that was my unique compass is like, what would I want? Okay. It's time to be that first and then see what happens. And it ended up proving to be correct. I love this. And so I have so many questions to geek out on with this and selfishly probably. Um, so one is what are your criteria for a friend? Like what type of friends are you looking for? Like, what do you look for in a friend? I guess. Cause it, you basically said it reflects be the friend you want others to be. The way to reverse engineer that is ask what you're looking for. Like what, write down what type of qualities you want in a friend, whether it be dependability, call you at two in the morning, somebody with a truck, 
someone who who likes to fish, whatever it is, like write those things down, right? And then what's your personal barometer for a friendship? You know, I think it was a, it was a trap early on for me to think, let's just find people that are outgoing and, you know, hilarious like me. And so then I found all those people and I was like, okay, well, we're all loud and obnoxious. So uh, let's go the opposite direction now. Uh, but I think the through line is everyone has two innate desires to be fully known and fully loved. And if you sit down and have a conversation with someone where they can tell you truly want to get to know them, not for any other reason than getting to know them, then you've broken a certain wall right there. And I feel like through my experience, I've been able to see every type of person and have a conversation with every different type of personality out there. In fact, I remember the most difficult one I had was my younger brother had also ended up attending the same Christian college that I did. And there was a guy on his football team who my my brother was like, oh, you should get to know him. Like you guys might have a lot in common when I say, and he, he probably knows who he is and would be laughing at this today. When I say this was an interview, I mean, he did not ask me back a single question. It, it was literally like, it, it was the hardest thing ever. I was like, uh, you know, I'd ask a question. He would just answer and stare right back at me. I was like, is this real? Is this real? I've had a couple podcast interviews like that. And it's not very fun. <laughs> it's not fun. Even, and let's just like say this right now. Even if you don't necessarily want to get to know somebody, just do it anyways for the sake of having a potentially amazing conversation. You know, there is, there is nothing that is a promise at the end of it. You did not sign a contract to, oh gosh, now I got to be this person's friend. But the best part is this person, I, I thought after we were done, ah, first round jitters. Maybe he's never had a conversation like this before. I did it again. Oh no. I came back. I came back. I was adamant. I was like round two. It's going to be a great conversation this time. No. And man. did you have your cue cards that time? <laughs> I honestly, that was the one moment in college. I wish I did. I was like, I don't you know. You could just like hand him. him the cue cards and be like, Hey, I've got this cool new game and you can ask me some really fun questions. Take this with you. <laughs> Hilarious. Yes. And I'm like, I'm looking at my watch. We have a half hour till class. What the heck am I going to do? You know? And, but the best part is that's also how my first conversation with my now greatest, bestest friend on the planet started. It was hilarious. She said to me, cause she, she was new and she's like, Hey, I'd love to get to know you more. And she's an introvert. So cute. You know, she's, she's just trying to put herself out there. And I'm like, great. You know, I'm thinking I'm thriving. Somebody asked me to dinner. We sit down now. Granted, it was a loud restaurant and she knows that I tell the story just to roast her. But I had, I was like a Harlem Globetrotter. I was spinning that ball. I just had her answering questions for two hours straight. And she didn't ask me a single question. And I was like, you know what? I don't know if this is going to work out after the first time. And then after that, she had asked me again, which I liked because I said, oh, okay, she, she really is trying to be, you know, intentional here. And it ended up, you know, being the best thing ever. But she had said afterwards, and this was a good mental note for me to take as well. She said, you didn't leave any space for dead air. 
So I couldn't ask you a question. I needed time to think and process. And I thought, wait, some people need to, some people need to stop and think during this. Um, so that's also an important note I learned along the way is leave room for air. It's okay. It's okay. It may not feel okay to you for silence, but sometimes that's what people need in order to, to be able to walk with you in the conversation. Changing gears completely. And I'm probably leaving a lot of really important stuff, but we'll come back to it. If you were to move to a new city, because I do think even though we're in this virtual 2021 time where Zoom is the most popular thing, and we're having this conversation on Zoom, you need physical friends present in the three dimensions. If you move to a new city, would you, what would you do? Yeah. I mean, I'd start with people in the workplace or because I'm assuming I would move there for a job, you know, we're just, just fueling off that assumption. And this is where I truly think uh, the local church is so important. And though online is an option out there and, you know, with my faith background, I would absolutely jump into a church, even if I know nobody, even if I hate the service, just to try and get to know one person, because one, a person does not define a church experience, though they are part of it. But it is an important element to take into consideration. So, I mean, I could go on a tangent about when people say that they felt church hurt. You know, a building cannot help you or a building, a building cannot hurt you. It's the experience with select people in it. And so I just refuse to put blanket statements on very nuanced things. And though church hurt is real, I've experienced it myself. I just refuse to give up on people collectively as a group. Like this is all of our human experiences. And to speak to you saying this virtual world, I truly am really concerned about what this virtual reality world of, you know, meta is going to look like down the road because we're made for connection. So we are going to need to make that a priority physically seeing people's eye contact face to face with us, seeing body language happen. FaceTime is not going to be sufficient. So that's why I'm so passionate about putting myself out there. Even if I was in a new city, getting, getting quote unquote awkward with people and trying to have those meaningful in-person connections because there is nothing that can, um, be a substitute for it. So what are some other options besides a church if you move to a new mm -hmm. town and not work either, let's say, to have the opportunity to have these conversations that could turn into friendships? This is the first idea I had because there are so many great coffee shops out there nowadays. Yeah. And this is a real extrovert talking here. So I understand people may have an anxiety attack just hearing me say this. I would sit down at a coffee shop not look at my phone, not put AirPods in and just kind of like search the room, I think for a little bit. And then I would see if anybody else was doing the same thing. Because from my experience in um, the restaurant and service industry, I've noticed that a lot of people who are really lonely go out by themselves just so they don't feel alone anymore. And I think my first plan of attack, if I was, you know, in such desperate measures as this example you've put me in, not there for work, not there for job, you know, anything like that, I would go up to that person and be like, super, super random, but I really like your coat and I'm trying to make new friends. 
do you have time to have a conversation and see what happens? And that feels awkward just hearing you say that. And I am also, I, you know, worked in sales for almost 20 years and I have no problem approaching strangers and I do it all the time. But for some reason, that feels so vulnerable that I know it would work because it would shock someone. You've No one's ever walked up to you and said that before. So it would make a difference. Absolutely. And on top of that, I know a friend who used to be homeless. So now what he does is whenever he goes into a city and he sees a homeless person, he actually goes up to them and invites them to coffee with him to sit down and have a conversation. Really? And I think that's amazing as well. Well, so I want to have them on my podcast because that I could have you tell me the story, but that is, I don't know what to do when I see a homeless person. I feel a sadness and like I want to do something, but I don't know what would actually help. I look at, I don't look away. I know, like I smile and I make eye contact and I say, hello, like, how's your day going? But that's kind of it. But I do see people like kind of look the other way, almost like can't look, can't make eye contact. And I, I feel like that is probably the definitely the wrong thing to do. But the the so I do want to get into how to maintain friendships once you get a couple, because I think that is another difficult part is you, you have these these people now that you're jiving with, you, you get along, you've got maybe some similar hobbies, maybe you met at a yoga studio or at the gym, and you've got some things in common. How do you take it from this kind of this surface level relationship into a full-fledged friendship, they'll they'll be there for you when you need them. Well, going back to that vulnerability piece, I think that is very crucial. That is a very crucial element to this. And uh, my my technique was to be vulnerable first with other people still today. So I'm willing to risk you taking what I give you and just dropping the ball on me because what can also happen is you could be there for me. And that's a risk worth taking in my mind because, yeah, not everybody's got to be there for you, but not everybody needs to be there for you. On that process, you're going to find your tribe. And so I think from a maintaining those relationship standpoints, I am so anti-small talk. It's not even funny. Within the first 20 minutes of having a conversation with me, if we're sitting down for a meal, and that's usually where I like to jive. I cannot get to know people in big party type settings. It's so hard for me. I get so distracted because I want to be lasered in on you, the person right in front of me. So that's why I like to do meals where we're just sitting across from one another. But I'm asking questions within the first 20 minutes. Like, what is your biggest passion? What is one moment where, you know, you didn't think you'd make it, but then you did. So I'm getting very deep underneath the service real quick to know I'm actually trying to see not your eyes, your whole heart. And I promise I'm going to show you the same if it's something you want. Um, so I think that's always been a key for me is becoming so invested in the conversation that I'm not looking to fill time. I'm looking to fill up both of us. Do you find that if you stopped calling and texting and emailing that it would go silent like do you do, do you feel like there's an important reciprocation in a good friendship or do you feel like the reaching out is always your job like you, you should just do it and don't quit thank you for addressing this so still to this day i am the person who's reaching out 90 percent of the time does that make me desperate no 
that means I'm intentional. And I've never questioned it in the sense of being like, why is this person, how dare, how dare they not reach out to me? I just spent so much time with them. See, you're a better person than me because (laughs) I am also the person that reaches out 90 to 95% of the time. And sometimes I do go like, why aren't they reaching out to me? And when someone randomly does, I'm like, oh, this is so nice. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Like I send text messages, emails, phone calls when I'm just thinking of my friends just randomly. And I'm like, why, where's the reciprocation? Like, so I'm guilty. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you for not being. Well, I tell you, I had to learn the hard way because I, I was holding so many offenses and grudges about people at first. And then I was like, who the heck, why would you expect that from other people? And I truly believe this whole issue was not a thing 40, 50 years ago. I think it's more of an issue because we are not seeing people face to face. You're right. And therefore, they're not coming top of the mind. It is triggering that, oh, I forgot. I want to hang out with her. I want to have a conversation. Or someone you worked with or someone at church or it it wasn't these people in completely different states from you. So I think that's definitely that's where we need to give ourselves some grace there. But don't be afraid and don't think you are such a loser if you keep reaching out to people, because guess what? You are, in fact, building relationships because if you keep reaching out to somebody, but they keep having conversations with you and actually being present for it, then you're still winning. You still have those friendships that you've wanted. So sometimes I've been like, is this person really not my friend? Like, am I forcing it so much? Cause I'm the one that kind of always is setting times to get together or zoom calls or emails or whatnot. And I'm like, do I need friends who like are equally committed in that way? Mm -hmm. But I guess that makes a lot of sense. Like we've all got our own stuff going on. I need to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And I will say on that as well, James, that because I think we all know pretty early, oh my gosh, I'm driving with this person. I think they could be one of my people. You know? And I knew that you the second I met you within minute, Same. and we were at Same. this event with a hundred other people like you. I hate small talk. It's a waste of time. I want to know what you were made for like what drives you and at that event i'm like all right i got my two or three people these are the people i'm just going to spend the time going deep with i don't need 70 surface level conversations i want i already found my two or three people i'm just going to keep going deep with them and i was super intentional about that Yeah, no, you absolutely were. And you were, I was just so excited to see your smiling face every morning because I knew I'm going to be next to James. James is going to encourage me about the craziest things I couldn't even see in myself. I'm going to feel empowered. I'm going to feel emboldened and feel made for more. That's what I felt. I'm I'm being honest. I know that sounded sarcastic, but it wasn't. But I want to go back to this part because it was very interesting that you addressed it because if there's a friendship where I know, hey, we're driving, we're going to be buds. I think it's appropriate. It's a certain point. If you're noticing a difference in imbalance per se, to ask the question to yourself first. And if you figured it out, perfect. If you haven't, then bring it to the table between the two of you. What do you want the goal of this friendship to be? I, I tell I tell people this all the time when they're saying, hey, we're having I'm having an issue with my best friend. She's in like a totally different phase of life than I am. You know, I'm single. She's married with kids. Just to just to give an example like that. I just don't know what it's going to look like. I will say what could be the harm in saying, hey, what do you want this friendship to look like moving forward? What is what is the ideal picture of us in your mind? 
and you've done because and you've done that before. I've done. And it what do you and, hear back? Oh my gosh, I've never thought about that all the time because people don't think about it. But if we're being intentional, then we need to have an intentional goal we're shooting for, not just camaraderie. There's got to be something behind it. So, yeah, it's 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 never backfired on me because again, I'm showing, hey, like I want to be your friend, but I want to know what role you want me to to be in your life. Do you want me to be the encourager? Do you want me to be the listener? I can wear different hats. You know, sometimes I'll have a conversation with my best friend and she'll say, I need you to not try and fix anything right now. I just need you to listen because I need to get this off my chest. Okay. Then I'm going to be the listener, but there's different roles that different people feel, fill, not feel, fill. So for instance, my best friend knows she is Uh, a sounding board for me. She is someone who is extremely peaceful all the time. And so when I'm super anxious or I have a heightened state of emotion, I'm going to go to her because she's going to help calm me down and ground me. There's another bestie in my life who I have conversations about work, corporate, career, leadership with her. I have another great friend who is a mental health therapist. So I know when I'm all out of whack, I'm going to have a conversation with her. And these, so we can have this tribe of people who fill different needs that we all have. And where I think so many of us go wrong is, especially in dating relationships, I see this all the time. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Our significant others wearing way too many hats. One person cannot meet all your needs except for Jesus. But really, we can't. We physically, as human beings in this human experience, cannot meet every single person's needs. So I think that's why community is so important because that's how it's supposed to work. When you were talking about your breakup with your best friend at 20, I immediately thought of when a spouse passes away early or before you, Mm -hmm. and you now have don't have friends and they're gone and you're alone and grieving and you need friends then more than ever. And they've seen in longevity studies that the folks that actually do make it to 100 years have that communal aspect. It's more than just a spouse. They have these neighbors and friendships and ride or die relationships that they've had for a long time. It's because you need them. And like Mm -hmm. I find myself asking Emily to wear way more hats than she should in our relationship from wife to uh, business partner to filling my spiritual needs and all these other things that are just it's 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 not the purpose of a spouse like it it's Mm. too much like we need these friendships and I think identifying the goal of the friendship could be really great and sounds kind of awkward to me, but I, I could I see how that would really make a big difference in some of these relationships I have where if their goal is just to talk once in a while and that's it, like, okay, well, great. Now I know that. Like, I, if I'm looking for a deep friendship, I got to go to someone else for that. And that's okay at that point. To address that, I want to share a, a personal story that is almost exactly verbatim this scenario. I had a friend I met a couple years ago and We basically knew each other's names for years, but didn't really have a conversation until we were put in the same room together. Then we started talking, started driving, and um, I was in this 
weird period of my life where I was like, there's the one friend I want. They're, they're awesome. They're going to have like all these qualities because I know they're funny. They're artistic. They're dramatic. They're, you know, all these things. And then that friend basically didn't want to be my friend. It kind of reminds me of when you're like dating too. Like that's like, you (laughs) just described the dating process. You're like looking for this perfect person. They, they're arty, but they play tennis and they do this, but they love dogs and they. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, and we got to stop doing that. And I learned the hard way because of this story. So this, you know, dramatic person who's like artistic and everything. I was like, yes, we're going to be friends. They said, they basically told me, I don't want to be friends with you. I was crushed. But at the same, at the exact same time, this other friend over here, who I was like slightly jiving with, we kind of knew each other's names. I completely pushed to the side because I was so focused on dramatic friend that this person legitimately felt that I didn't want to be friends with them. That person actually called me on the phone crying. I honestly have no idea what to do with you. And I was like, what? And she said, I have been trying and trying to make such a concerted effort to be your friend and be there for you. And it feels like I'm just being ignored. Do you actually want to be friends or not? That, that's what she said to me. And I started crying immediately because I was like, here I was so with such tunnel vision, so focused on the wrong thing that I was cutting myself off to any other more incredible friendships than I thought, than I thought, because here she was like pouring her heart out to me. And I was just like letting her go. And you know what? That conversation changed our friendship. She's now one of the closest people in my life. And one of the people I trust most on planet earth, because she went on a limb like that. And that's such a testament to, to what boldness and being vulnerable could do, because I could have said, yeah, honestly, I don't really want to be your friend. Like, I don't know why you're crying about it. You know, like I could, I could have said that, but I was so moved because she really wanted it. And I was focused on the wrong, the wrong friendship the whole time. So that is a perfect segue to one more topic I want to cover. And there's actually maybe, maybe we have time for a couple more, but um, ending a friendship that just is toxic or doesn't necessarily the person changed or your goals changed is that like do you think the song is right make new friends and keep the old or do you sometimes you need to get rid of the old out of your life or maybe not get rid of them maybe just like give them less of a platform in your life absolutely i think that it's extremely nuanced and we have to not tread lightly but make sure that we're taking care of people's hearts including our own as our friend dr john deloney says we always have to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first. So I, I find this um, a very interesting topic to discuss because, yes, there's you know toxic friendships. And I just hate the stigma because I think it's overused. I think the moment somebody challenges most of us, we're like, oh, my God, you're toxic. No, they're being an incredible friend calling out your blind spots that we're refusing to see. Yeah, they're the only one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then there's other situations where maybe it's somebody that, you know, you're mentoring somebody that's years younger than you, who is not on the same page, but wants to be. And some would consider that toxic. 
And it's just like what we, we need to define what toxic actually means. And I wouldn't even say that life giving versus life sucking is necessarily a good delineation because I think the goal is we should have more life giving friendships than life sucking. But just because they may take more from you than give to you does not mean they are inherently bad. So I think in my own life, I make sure, I mean, I'm in a spot right now where I have my solid core friend group and we communicate so in, intensely. I'm, I'm not saying we're fighting. We communicate so intentionally and uh, consistently with one another that if there's any issues, we're not afraid to call it on the table. And those people who are in my tribe, my core, know that they have permission to call things out or call me up, as I like to say, in my life. So from that standpoint, none of them are toxic because they all know who I want to be and want to help me get there. So let's talk about like actual toxic friendships. Well, I have two questions first. How many people are in like that core group? Like what's the core group? How big can that be? Yeah, I would say there's there's five who are like the tightest, the closest people. And then I have really good friends. And that's probably that probably extends to like 15. So could you see where let's say you got this 15 and the five are in the 15. Could the could those people kind of move around in there over the years as like things are changing in your life? Or what is the five like the five? Definitely, because I think people have different strengths. So in let's say let's give this example in a season of grief for myself. I'm probably going to become a different version of myself. I may, I may shell, um, and it could be a loss of a relationship, a person, a dream, etc. But I know that I need the people who have experienced something similar to that. And I'm going to lean into those people more because they're going to have more grace because they've experienced it themselves. So yeah, I think there, I think movement within that is, is healthy because you know, as it says in the Bible that there's a season for everything. And I used to be so jaded when people were like, oh, it's a season, you know, like I don't care. Okay. Because I'm going all in that. I just anticipate these friendships are going to last forever, but friendships lasting forever can be the case. Wow. You also move in and out. And I think that's where a lot of us get tripped up because we're thinking like, oh my gosh, is our friendship on the rocks because we haven't talked in six weeks and blah, blah. No, it's not on the rocks. It's just, here's, here's what I'm leaning into right now. Here's how much I still love you. You know, it's just communicating. And I don't think we need to be afraid of it. And I know I'm saying all this as a woman and that men may rarely have conversations like this with one another, but this is just how I have learned to communicate. So I hope it's still making sense to most of these. Well, see, it's making sense to me less verbally. Like I don't verbally say a lot of this, but it just kind of happens. And like my friends, we just kind of accept it. Like maybe it's six months since we talked, but then if something changes, they can say, I need to talk to you. And we talk immediately. And it's exactly like we never quit talking. And in that time, for whatever reason, we're, they, we need each other more. Absolutely. In fact, I think that's one of the best compliments that a human can give one another is every time we talk, even though it's been a year, six months, it feels like we didn't lose a second because that just shows how how deep those roots go and how intentional you have been 
in growing that relationship over time. That toxic person or friendship, it kind of re- it kind of reminds like I don't know if we need to though because it's almost like the beginning of our conversation about coworkers that you just don't know very well. That person's mm-hmm. toxic possibly because you don't know them very well mm-hmm. or there's some kind sure. of misunderstanding which is coming from you not knowing them very well. <laughs> right? Sure. Like I think most people are pretty good. Most like this whole like the world is on polar opposites and we're all fighting. I've not really found that. Like everyone I meet mm. is a pretty good person and like I don't have to love everything about them to think they're a good person. I I completely agree with you and I think we have to stop being so afraid to make eye contact and sit down with people. Um, but to to kind of give an example of where I think toxicity has um, been something I've navigated in my life. A couple years ago, um, there was a, I was dreaming for something big, I think. And um, basically there were a couple people who were like, um, first off, that kind of sounds ridiculous. They were super negative about it. whereas everyone else in my friend group was like, oh my God, you you would dream of that. You would do it because you know what, Zoe? We believe that you will do everything it takes to actually make that happen. Whereas these people were like, I I don't know, you know? So how I like to say it is using the example of a microphone where not everyone's mic should be turned all the way up. So if there's toxic people in your life and you are, are starting to understand it and you're like, Hey, this is actually doing something to me, like doing something to my body or my mind that isn't helpful. Pull the plug. It's not what they're saying is not helping you in this season. And you can still love them, but that doesn't mean they get to be turned all the way up in your ears. So that's kind of how I've navigated it is honestly by using that example. That makes so much sense. And it also makes sense in the fact that you kind of know which friends to go to for the answer that you want. And so like, oh, you have this dream, you know, which friends are going to shoot it down and challenge you and which ones are going to be like, go for it. Like, that's awesome. And you can get in big trouble by only listening to those encouragers. Like, I challenge myself a lot when I'm like, am I only going to the people that are going to tell me this is a good idea? Or am I only going to the people that I know are going to shoot it down because I want it shot down? Like, what do I really want? And then does it really matter what those other people say? And it might like I've noticed that more recently, actually, as I take more chances. I I completely agree. And that's so funny that you said that because I've created a rule for myself that whenever I want feedback on something, here's what I do. I will send it to someone who will hype me up and always be like, it's amazing. I will give it to someone who I'm actually nervous to hear the response from. And I will send it to someone who loves me no matter what. And you take the average that of all way, three. <laughs> yes, because that way, especially the person who loves me no matter what, will at least say like, you know what? This part was great. So it'll it'll even out. It'll go 50-50 at least if or two out of three. But I know that having that, you know, that three is going to be the averages. People want the best for me no matter what. So I'm willing to risk and it. I th- and yeah. at the same time, Whenever you're creating something, I mean, especially as a content creator, it's not for everyone. So it's important to know that as well. So whenever someone responds and they say, I don't like it versus I am not sure about this part because it could be perceived as such, we need to be able to delineate when people are actually shooting down, shooting us down versus actually trying to help. And I have made it my goal. This is 
I was just talking to my boyfriend about this last week. He said, you know, I think, cause we were talking about pet peeves. He's like, I'm going to guess. I think your pet peeve is when people assume the worst intentions. And I was like, absolutely correct. Because I would say 2019, 2020 was a year that I was living in offense. I was choosing to be offended because you, you have to make that choice. I am choosing to be offended by what you said. And I became so sick of everything else I was seeing that I became that. I became that person that became so easily offended. And once I realized it was a choice, I have now consciously made a choice to always assume the best intentions from somebody else. And let me tell you, I feel so much more free as a friend by living that way. And if you are listening to this and you feel like the world is going down and that everyone's fighting and polarized, I would challenge that maybe you're reading the news, scrolling on social media too much. And if you would take some of these strategies that Zoe outlined and either made new friends or committed to your existing friends and spent more time with people, you would realize that it's not really that bad out there and we're okay. But it's so easy in the news and social media to think that this is the last year on earth. It's amazing what a conversation can do. And I think that if you're out there, you may be thinking, first off, this is over my head. You know, I have no idea where it even starts. And, you're, and you are listening to two people who love to meet people and make friends. So I could see how you would, that would be, be like you and I are like, we're on the same page here. Like I would do yeah. all of this and I have done most of this. <laughs> but here, here's the beautiful thing. If you're afraid of getting into a conversation about politics, then don't talk about politics. Yeah. Like it, it really is not that hard. I have legit heard so many people, especially during the holidays, they'll be like, man, I'm afraid to go home because you know, me and my parents, we're going to get into it about politics. Well, why don't you just talk about what your parents childhood was like you know like it's very easy to avoid those conversations and quite honestly i really don't believe or i really believe that the overwhelming majority of the world does not want to talk about it either they only talk about it as a fallback because they're not sure what else to be passionate about yeah that's so true and this is a great time to be talking about that because we've all just been spending time with friends and family and and some of those Chevy Chase Christmas vacation type moments I'm sure have ensued in the last couple of weeks, but it is about being tactical and mm -hmm. just talk about something else like, oh, well, this is really draining me. Let's talk about this instead, which I know you love or don't even say that and just change over to something, you know, that person likes to talk about because they're they're begging They're Everyone's wanting to geek out about their passions with you. They just. Absolutely think nobody else knows what they love or cares i think i i agree and uh it, you know i was just i just thought of this question that i want to ask my friends and i want to challenge everybody out there to do it with your friends this week and especially if you're in a situation where you're thinking this conversation could go south because we're turning it in this direction here's what i would say hey whoever the name is what is something that you want to learn more about this year that you know very little about. Suddenly you have changed gears so fast. And even if it does go on a political tangent per se, look what they're doing. They're going from, I have an opinion to I'm willing to 
recognize that I don't know a lot about something and I actually want to spend time researching it. And I think that's awesome. And, but that could be done with anything. Like what I want to learn more about this year is communicating to an audience that is outside the microphone in person, how to communicate better to an audience. So that's what I'm going to do. How are you going to do that? Oh, James, don't ask me that. I'm a dreamer, not a doer. No, I'm just kidding. I um, hear you. I'm going I'm going to read a lot of books. Mm-hmm. Have you talk like Ted? Yes. Talk like Ted is on that list. Um and what about like the um What's that group called? Toastmasters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely a good idea. I need to uh, look into that. I think that I'm also going to put myself out there this coming year and email some local schools and see if they are looking for a speaker to talk about friendships. You know, my wife ran a nursing home for a long time. And that's another place where there's people who are lonely and are still wanting to learn new things and have people come and talk to them. And you could basically contact any senior living or nursing home and be like, hey, I want to talk about this. And they would uh, come on in. And it's a hundred person captive audience. Great and point. I just wrote that down. So that's another good one that you talk about being uncomfortable. If you do that, you can come back on the show and we can talk about what you learned because that would be fascinating. And I think like just hearing what you had to say about friendship on this episode which you can get the show notes for this episode over at quandall.com slash Zoe. That's quandall.com slash Z-O-E. It's not Zoe, it's Zoe. I think you could put together some type of a wet, like a class on friendships, truthfully. Like I would sign up for it. And if you like broke this down a little bit deeper, I would totally join something like that. I know that's virtual. That's virtual, but it could be a way to, it is still public speaking, not on a podcast format, at least. That's true. No, thank you. That's a great idea. And I appreciate the, inc- see, here you are encouraging me and filling me up already again, James. I just love that idea. And this friendship, you have such a gift. You know the tactical things that a lot of people, some of them just are doing, but they've never been able to put the thought into putting it to words. And I think that's your gift is is helping other people not feel lonely and how to build friendships and be a good friend and to maintain friendships. Thank you. I I mean, it obviously took a lot of hard work and I started from ground zero. You know, I had no friends and had to build up from there. And I think the piece of encouragement I would give to you is that friendships are never going to be handed to you, quite honestly. So yes, you may be terrified. Yes, you may be anxious just thinking about it. What's the best thing that can happen if you go out on a limb and do it? And what's the worst? Well, we don't need to think about that. We're just going to tell them the best so that they move forward. I'm with you, but I don't think the worst is not that bad, really, in that scenario. So you can't lose. Exactly. Because the worst thing is they say no. Okay. Does that that hurt your pride? If you don't let it, then no. But do you realize you're one step closer to finding another friend? Yes. So that actually is a good thing, too. Boom, bam. Yep. I think that's a great place to end this episode. And I'm just so grateful you came on and chatted about friendships. And I know that myself and 
a lot of other people are just dying right now for deeper, more meaningful friendships. And I think mm -hmm. it starts with us. It's out there. But are you willing to, to go after it yourself? James, you're a great friend. I'm so honored to have you in my life. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of The James Quandall Show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the next episode. Subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show grow. See you next time. Thank you.